time. Yeah. How'd that go?
process, this transformation, again, requires our sacrifice, right? We talked about that. And ultimately, our participation. I need to be a willing participant, and it's one day at a time. One day at a time. One moment at a time. Okay? So we, a lot of gals came out to me saying, how do I do? I put it on there, just like that incredible drama. I got, well, what do I do now? Well, sacrificial cleansing was every day. You're going to have to recognize that stuff that you put up there probably every day. Probably multiple moments a day and go, no, 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 no. That's been redeemed. I'm going to walk in what that looks like, even though I may not have any idea. Start vision casting. The Bible says without vision we perish. So there's a few that might put fear, trust, worry, finance, whatever. Let's start walking as if it is. Amen. And then get some help if you need to. Okay? So remember how um, last night I said I wanted to cover a whole bunch of stuff and I just covered the first part and I give you that area of view. I'm going to give you the area of view again. This is what I hope to cover. Okay. So we talked about our need for redemption. We talked about redeeming our past. I want to cover four things, Lord willing. The first one is how to renew our thinking. We've covered a little bit of that, okay, right? We've, there's a room full here of some serious thinking, thinking. <laughs> I know, because I hear it. I sometimes I hear it out of my own mouth. I'm not hearing it out of yours. And we've been talking about that over the course of the weekend, too. Some of our thoughts, those tapes, right? So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about redeeming our sexuality. That's a huge one. Okay. Then I want to talk about redeeming our relationships. And then redeeming our time. Sound good? Let's see what happens. So, redeeming our thoughts. Don't we have a weekend? Oh, let's see how we just got better and better as the weekend went on. Because I was looking at the Bible and it wasn't working. Okay. So, Isaiah 43 1. By now, this is what the Lord says He who created who? Me. Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned, summoned you by name. You are mine. Whether you like it or not, whether you think you're good enough, righteous enough, clean enough, sober enough, healed enough, whatever, is absolutely irrelevant. He already picked you. Amen. He already picked me when I was doing some of the dumbest stuff known to mankind in my teenage years and my 20s. He already had all this business in place. He already knew, I was telling my friends earlier today, he already knew when I was wrapped up in all kinds of foolish shenanigans that I was going to be on a mountain in big, I'm from Canada, people, this is a big stretch, okay? <laughs> that I would be on a mountain in Bear, Big Bear, uh, speaking at a Christian women's retreat on redemption. That is hysterical, okay? <laughs> but he already formed me and redeemed me and summoned me and was already calling me out back then. Now, if you would have told me back then, I'd have been like, you drank a bad batch of something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't know, okay, extend grace. I didn't know Jesus, okay? So, all right, so, redeeming our thinking. So now, let's pull out uh, Psalm 139, 1 through 5, can we? So let's take a look at this. I really want, to, am I walking in? Can you guys see this? Who's standing in front of this? Is that right? Thank you. 
perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my falling out and my lying down. You are familiar with all, all my ways. Yeah. That's big for me. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Wow. So not only has it, was God involved in our creation, he's intimately attentive to me right now. When I'm frumpy, lumpy, and I'm a mess, when I'm standing here right now, tomorrow when I gotta drive down the hill and the Lord knows what I'm gonna walk into when I walk in my house, he is attentive to me, to you, right now, right now. And when I thought about that, I thought, okay, I'm already praying for my future grandchildren, okay? I know, I'm kind of hoping I might have a minute before they come, but I can't wait to be a grandma. I know that sounds really jacked up, but I get to spoil them in ways because I have taught parenting classes and I'm not allowed to do certain things right now, but boy, when those grandbabies come, it is on, and my kids are going to be so mad at me, but okay, whatever. There's nothing. This kid isn't even born. My children aren't even like married yet, and I'm already madly in love with a future grandchild that isn't even born yet. Track of this. That child did nothing to earn it. It's not even like around. Okay. So most of us, what we don't understand is how attentive, how madly in love with he, how madly in love with us that he is right now. But our thoughts don't match that, do they, girls? No. I mean, Veronica did such a stellar job with just playing some of those tapes for us that I think any of us, if we were willing to be honest, were like, oh my gosh, has she been in my head? I know, maybe she should have added these other 12. And we laugh at it, but it is terrible. There's women taking their lives because of this stuff. There's women taking their lives slowly through addiction, through unhealthy behaviors, through unhealthy relationships. They're taking their lives just slowly because of those thoughts. You belong to God. Psalm 139, 13, 18, in the New Living. Do we have it? Maybe we don't. We do? No, that's not it. I'm going to keep bouncing. If it comes up behind me, let me know because it's a long one. So what ultimately has to happen is we need to start getting the right perspective of who we are because that's what brings fulfillment in life. He didn't only made you, he sustains you, he defines you, he cares for you, he accepts you, and he designed you for a specific purpose. Not three quarters of the time I have no clue what that is. I'll just confess, I was like, oh, what is he gonna do with this hotness? I don't even know. And I still sometimes don't know. I'm getting a little inkling and it's kind of freaking me out a little bit, but okay, right? Right? But he made star, all of you girls. You all have a very specific purpose. Already predestined for you, ironically enough. We just gotta kind of fumble along and figure it out. There's usually so much noise, we can't even begin to track and figure it out. There's so many negative tapes or stinking thinking or condemning thoughts. And so what I thought we would do is take a couple of them, because we could spend literally a whole week, uh, weekend talking about stinking thinking how to, tra to, to be transformed by the creator of our mind. We literally could, because women, it's epidemic for us. So let's just take a couple of them. That's where it was at Philippians. Oh, no. That's yeah. This is, it's great, but it's, I'm having an 
me. You had it up there a second ago. There you go. Oh, here we are. Okay. So the condemning thought is I want to give up. I want to quit. I can't do this. Has anybody thought that way? This is like do the Christian thing. This is really hard. Do the right thing. Show honor to my husband despite his performance. Treat my children with love when I just uh, don't want to. Do the right thing at work when nobody's looking. Pursue excellence in every... What? I don't want to do that. I want to give up. But he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Hmm. Interesting. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So ultimately, my Berlinism on that is stay committed. Hmm. So when I want to give up, and it's just too hard doing this Christian thing, when all blank is going on in my life, and doing the right thing is so hard, it's like, oh, wow, okay. That's the one side. Then the other side says, just stay committed. And there's so many more scriptures than that. How about when my thought says, nobody loves me? I'm not lovable. If they only knew how I think, how I feel, what I do, what I wrestle with. Nobody loves me. Well, what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he, what? We talked about this Friday night. He gave. This is how he gave. He gave. But I want to say nobody loves me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So even though my one part of my brain and that stinking thinking says nobody could possibly love me, nobody could possibly um, look at me differently than how I look at myself. And he says, but I wonderfully made. Mm. What? Okay? See how we have to counter? Right? We have to take those thoughts captive. The Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I love that scripture. My thing is, do you even know what's rattling in your mind? Do you bother to take the time to catch those thoughts? Because I don't know about you, but my tapes go on auto repeat. Right? Am I the only one? I don't know. I'm okay with that, but, okay. So how about this one? I'm alone, and no one understands me. Yeah. Has anyone ever had that one? No one struggles with what I struggle with. No one could possibly understand. Mm -hmm. That stinking thinking. What does Deuteronomy 31.6 say? That was an early one. Okay, there we go. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. What about Jeremiah 29, 11? One of my favorite life verses. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So when I think I'm alone and no one understands, his word says he will never leave me and he has a plan for me. And the irony is the Bible also says there is nothing new under the sun. That gives me so much courage. So when I think I'm the only one, I'm not. And I guarantee you in this room, there's gals in here thinking, I'm, I know I'm the only one that struggles with whatever. And if we could just like scalp open your brains and get a picture of what's going on, I guarantee you there's at least one other woman, if not more, that are dealing with some of that junk. Okay? Because there's nothing uncommon to them. How about I'm just not good enough? The performance trap. I'm the perfectionism trap. That works trap. I'm not good enough. Has anybody ever had that in your dialogue? Okay. So what does Genesis 1.26 say? <laughs> then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our life. 
creating this image. So when I get all stuck in this performance trap, all he asks is for my best. He doesn't ask for perfection. That's right. All that striving, all that stuff is all that's all darkness. The enemy, the enemy wants us to get trapped in that. Remember last night when I talked about what are all the things that you think you're doing to cleanse yourself? And they're all an illusion because that's really not it. I mean, I gotta do this more, I gotta do this more, I gotta do this more. But yeah, okay, there's some things we do need to do a little bit more of, but not in that striving way. That is a lie, I'm not good enough, because ultimately I am his and he created me and I'm walking in that. And yeah, I'm not perfect and I'm constantly being refined. I fumble along, I make a mess of myself, I embarrass myself, whatever. We only need to laugh sometimes. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves, girls. For goodness sakes, we're really serious. We are, I'm the first one. I, I was like, oh, can we just chill for a minute? Okay? So when the enemy tries to slither in with false accusations, we have to be ready to counter them with God's word. And that's why it's so important we have to eat the meat of his word. Right. Because how in the word can how in the world can I counter the lie? If I don't even realize it's a lie. I for years listened to those tapes and found myself experiencing things in relationships and different junk that just validated the lie. But I had no idea it was a lie. Until I started studying God's word going, oh, that is totally the opposite thing of what Ronald's around in here. Oh dear, you get a little bit of a crisis in that moment? Well, I did. I was like, uh, what do I do with that? So, condemning thoughts that steal your confidence of who you are in Christ aren't from God. So point one, so you need to do some serious battle on that one. Let's commit today to renew our minds with the word of God. Okay? And my challenge is, you're in a battle every single day. Right? Yes. Which means you kind of need to be in the Word every single day. Yes. You need to talk into your Heavenly Daddy every single day. Yes. Because you guys all have a bullseye on your chest and on your back. On the, all over you. So if you think you're going to ride through this walk of Christianity with no problems, the Bible also says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It just is. So my challenge for you, and I think some of your reflective questions said, do your thoughts reflect what God's word says you are? Honestly? And yet we've been talking about redemption, haven't we? See, that's just ongoing. It's ongoing. You know, a lot of my, my good friends know, I, you know, I've been in recovery for over 27 years, and, and I call my character defects, and one of the main things maybe my uglies, and I got to look at this junk all the time. Do I walk in that junk? No. no. I'm standing here today because I choose not to walk in that junk, but I got to recognize it because it is chasing me all the time. <laughs> yeah. But I have authority over it, hence why I'm standing here today. Right? Yeah. So here's some power verses. Philippians 4.8 in the NIV. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, capital T. Can we say that? Praiseworthy. Think about those things. 
He places in a specific time and history and location in the world. Comparisons aren't good for our heart. They lead to an unhealthy attitude of either I'm better, because we can get some messed up pride, or I'm not good enough, or discouraged, and I'll never measure up, discontentment, if only I had more of that like her, I could do this, or jealousy, I wish I, excuse me, I was more like them. None of those perspectives encourages our soul or leads us in the right direction. Do you guys see that? I mean, we can probably look back in our younger adult years and go, wow, some of the things that I did because I was like keeping up with the, the Mrs. Joneses or the Miss Joneses, right? Um, we need to have a healthy perspective. You were designed to be you. The flip side of that is it doesn't give you an excuse to ignore your negative characteristics to stop growing. Flip side. Well, I'm just, you grow whatever culture you're from, or whatever, and that's why I have a temper, or that's why I'm a little explosive, or that's why I'm quiet and shut down and can't make friends and I'm a loner and a hermit. Yeah, no. No, 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 no. It's not okay. We don't want to make excuses. We need to have a really accurate, healthy self-perspective. So my whole point is, be God-focused, not self-focused or even other-focused. And on this topic, be God-focused. What does God say? Not everybody else in the committee that goes on in your head. We can trust Him. Number two, second strategy, find your security in Him. There's a lot of things that makes us anxious. We have more people on antidepressants and anti-anxieties than ever before. And we're starting at two and three years old. It's epidemic, anxiety levels in our culture, okay? People are so anxious and stressed out, and this is serious. I'm not saying this as a mockery. This is very, very serious. But where does our security have to be? It has to be in the Lord. His word says that embracing His love brings the right perspective and drives out all fear. But we really got to get to know who He is, because if I don't know who He is, how can I trust Him? My power's being turned off, and I've been loyal. I'm supposed to trust him? What does that look like? Girls, you get tested. Yes. Right. right? And it feeds right into that thinking, thinking, doesn't it? We go there. So my whole challenge, okay, allow God to define you, find your security in him, and accept your limitations. And what I mean by that is God created life. When he created life, there were some non-negotiable limitations. Well, there's a lot of them, but I'm going to talk about one. I don't know if anybody has figured out a way to get more than 24 hours of the day. I try. There's times I beg. I just get another six. Something. Because there's, I always feel like I'm on the short, like there's always, and I have a little bit of a busy life, and so whatever, okay. We also have physical limitations. You can't, you have to go and get sleep at some point. You can only go so many days without water. You can only go so many days without food. You can only go so many moments without oxygen, right? There's some natural physical limitations that he put in our lives. But so often, we are so daggum honorary, we are constantly trying to push those limitations. Yeah. Constantly. Which then just perpetuates our own stinking thinking. Do you guys catch that? Even perhaps in your own life, especially as overachievers that, stru that struggle with perfectionism or whatever. And there's some seasons of life that have automatic built-in limitations. Oh my goodness, the time I wasted when I had little tiny ones, and one that wasn't doing so well physically, no support system in our lives, and I was bitter and angry of the fact that my season was that. I wasn't getting anything done. 
And I was seeing all these people that were growing the industry and growing their businesses and their education and whatever. And here I am sitting on the sofa, nursing one kid, and practically like barely the other one because she's so colicky and I can't get her to come down thinking, wow, I'm like totally wasting my life right now. <laughs> what 
He has called you. Let me repeat that. We have to embrace God's purpose for our life. No matter where and to what He has called you. Amen. I resisted. When the Lord said, I'm not leaving the desert, and I don't get to go back to Canada, I'm not going to tell you some of the words he and I shared. <laughs> I was like, that's not part of the plan. Right. I, no, 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 no. I'm going to go there. From, I have my life planned out. Okay, this is my OCD perfectionism, right? Okay, I've been in the Olympic program since I was uh, 15. And so my life was always planned out before your loss. Because there's basketball is a summer sport, so you play every four years, right? So it's like, okay, I gotta graduate high school four years, and then I'm gonna go to college and play for four years, and then there's Olympic Games, right? And then I'm gonna go play pro for four years, and then I'm gonna And I had this plan. That's all right. Okay, but in the midst of that, I get radically saved, right? Plan changes a little bit. We don't have time for all that. But, um, I was like, it's okay, it's okay. I gotta stay there. I mean, my hunky chunk, okay, whatever. <laughs> but um, it's alright because we'll leave. It'll be okay. And it was really clear. God's plan and God's purpose was I was to live in the desert, but I was to provide an oasis in the desert. Come on. And I was like, really? <laughs> There's no four seasons. Like, I was with my friends and I like ran. Change. 
change in our parenting? What would change in our places of employment? What would change if we performed at the level of which he's sitting right here? Right. I don't know about you, but it's like, oh, it kicks it up a notch. But the irony is, he is. <laughs> when you even think he's not, he is. Again, that's another one of the lies. Are you faithful in the little things, or are you negligent in what seems insignificant? It's the little foxes that swallow the vine, right? Is that what the scripture says? It's the little ones. I didn't get to be 300 plus pounds because I just was always at a buffet. <laughs> Although I love them. <laughs> that wasn't it. Are you guys tracking with me? Yeah. It was, oh, here's a this, and then here's a this, and there's a here's a this, and here's a this. And then before you know it, I'm size 30 close. What happened? How did that happen? It wasn't all of a sudden you wake up and boom, there you are. We've been looking at pictures, some of us, that have been working on our vessels. Going, Lord, have mercy. Why didn't you tell me I look like that? What happened? I'm not saying this is a shame, but it's such a subtle process. It's so subtle. So again, if I were going to be faithful in the little things, what impact would that have, even in just my thinking? Okay? All right, now let's shift, redeeming our sexuality. It's the big end. Okay. Okay, the reality is most of us carry sexual offenses. Okay? Some wounds are deeper than others, but they're all painful. This room represents dozens of painful stories that are caused by a lot of different things. And I'm going to talk about them because... Um, I think too often we minimize the impact of those sexual offenses on our life. Or we'll say, well, it wasn't this, so therefore it's not so bad. And one of the great things that Michelle unpacked for you is um, unpacking our past and healing from our past often involves unpacking some trauma. Um, and yes, does the Lord sometimes supernaturally meet you and poof, there's a miracle and you're restored? Yeah. He does. That is so cool. And then there's other times where we got to do a little open heart, soul surgery to heal from some trauma. That's some work. But I want to talk about some of these offenses because I want you to realize what a big issue, um, redemption from our sex, for our sexuality, how important that is. Okay? The first one is exposure. Um, and that's to sexual images, sexual conversation, encounters long before we're able to make well-informed decisions about our sexuality. And even as adults, we can be unwillingly exposed to, exposed to things that we would never want in our thoughts. Seeing a provocative image, whatever. So exposure, because when those seeds are planted, I don't know, I mean, I, I lived in Europe for many years, and I would just flip the, especially after I got saved, and I would flip the channels, and there's like pornography and nudity on all the stations, right? And now you get it with cable and stuff, but in Europe, it's like all over the places they run around. Anyway. Um, <laughs> And once I got saved, I like I click it. It's like oh, and I would change it, but it was like I was I felt defiled. Yes. Right. But that was just a blip exposure. Our kids are exposed to sexual images, especially within television, within seconds, over and over and over and over. And you guys are so clueless, you don't even realize it. Oh, it's a Disney Channel. Oh, it's Nickelodeon. It's fine. Oh, girls, it is not fine. But okay, I'm not here to talk about the media. So. Exposure. The next one is early experimentation. Here's the irony. If we had exposure when we were young, it opens a Pandora's box, usually to early experimentation, especially
right? So it was just this experimentation, that premature exposure to sexual issues at an early age. Then we have objectification. And our culture does a brilliant job with this. We were just at lunch today, and there's MTV. We don't have cable in our home, right? So I, I don't, I, so there it is. And I was like, oh my word. And there's like 16 year olds or something, 18, 19, and they're doing their stuff. And I'm like, wow, if that's not objectification, I have no idea. And we wonder why our girls yeah. are struggling. Why we, as grown women, even get succumb to that stuff? Objectification. And then we're receiving unwanted sexual advances in the workplace, all over the place because of that, right? And then there's a power alliance because it's your boss. And then what do you do? Because you, can, you can't lose your job. You've been objectified. There's a sexual offense. How about exploitation? So sexual exploitation is daunting. That's abuse. That's rape. That's stalking. That's sex trafficking. That's incest. That's pornography. Can we add that, please? And prostitution. In 2011, the research said that one in five women had been raped or had experienced attempted rape. And one in four reported they'd been beaten. And that one in six had been stopped. Those numbers have already, in just two years, have totally changed. In some states, they say one in two. So if we just go with these 2011 stats, we have a room of 60 some odd women. If we were just to count down the line, one in five, one in four, one in three, just in this room, how many have experienced that level of exploitation? What I said was abuse, rape, stalking, sex trafficking, incest, pornography, and prostitution. Incest, again, the closer the relative that that happens with, the greater the frequency of the event, the more harmful and lasting negative effects that would have, right? That makes sense. I hope you guys can see that. Gender identity, that's a huge, um, painful issue with our sexuality. And that's epidemic amongst young people today because um, bisexualism is considered trendy and in. You gotta check out both sides. Um, young adult women struggle with that too because again, it's so dominant in our culture and there's so much shame attached to it. But all of this stuff has shame attached to it. We're gonna unpack why. But again, homosexuality, bisexuality, and transgender issues are becoming more mainstream. Do you know there are five counseling centers in Las Vegas. Their sole service is to provide transgender therapy before uh, sex changes. There's five counseling centers in Las Vegas whose sole purpose is to do the transgender therapy. Now I'm not saying this to shame those that have gone through that, okay? That's not the purpose of this message. But that's how epidemic it is in our culture that so we as Christians, we want to kind of be in our bubble, right? Like, ooh. But it's going on all around us. All around us. Promiscuity and adultery. Um, again, we, this used to be a male-dominated issue. It's not. It's a female-dominated issue as well. We have just as many, uh, as many, it's coming up in the research now, we have just as many female sex addicts as we do men. We don't talk about it though. But it's there. Unfaithfulness of a spouse. Oh my goodness. And, and how this has so many layers of pain attached to it, but how many women remain sexually pure but have been negatively impacted by the adulterous choices of their husbands? And the impact of that. So they may have done nothing, but they've been impacted, right? But yet, oh, I don't have any sexual 
by the end of this, hopefully, you'll realize there is. Unhealthy sexual practices within marriage. Oh my gosh. This was fascinating. When I um, first got licensed and I had to do sex workshops at church, which, yeah, right? Um, <laughs> and how many Christian couples even had compromise within their marital relationship? Pornography, sex toys, fetishes, um, unfulfilling things that were not meant to be in the marriage bed. But again, that's a whole other conversation. So here's the challenge. There's only a few in this room that have not been impacted by at least one of those things. Mm -hmm. I've been personally impacted by just about every single one of them. Yeah. Early exposure, early exposure to a whole bunch of stuff, stopped, raped, assaulted, all this stuff. And this is before the age of 18. So I'm not naive to think that there's not a couple of us in the room. And to think I'm not going to carry around some reactions to that behavior that are probably riddled in compromise, but I'm so clueless because I'm just reacting to all that junk. Does that make sense? Okay. So the scars in our soul with sexual offense is so deep. And often, I, I mean, I think with sexual stuff, sexual trauma, when I have clients that come to me, it's like, that stuff is a whole unique batch right there. And I'm going to explain why in a second. These scars are deep, and sometimes it seems like the healing of that is so different. And I love the message translation. I want you guys to read this with me. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from others. It says it in the Word. Years ago I thought, it's different. It says in the Word, right here, sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live how you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. So like all those sins, sexual sin is not God's ideal for us. Does that make sense? It's a big deal. And if you had junk that happened to you, an incredible trauma that happened to you as a child, and you haven't taken the time to look at it, you are in such denial. And I said, you are. Because according to this scripture, it is impossible to not be impacted by that. Now, you're not defined by that, though. You're not. You are not defined by that. No man defines you. Only one. And he hung. No other man. Not even your husband if you're married. So to give, take the power from him and give it back to Jesus. Because your guy did not sign up to have all that power either. Okay? So, 
Our pain and our brokenness breaks his heart. It's why he died for us, and he wants to give us healing, forgiveness, and wholeness. So, how do we redeem our sexuality? This is a big one. It's a retreat. Uh, okay. Understand that sexual sin is not the unforgivable sin. Okay? The shame that I walk around with, after the, um, the rape, I, uh, I, was, I was at that point, whatever, and so I was living on my own in Toronto, and I had to take the subway. This right after it happened. And I was like, okay, I gotta clean myself up and I, uh, I'm walking in. And it was like, she talked about the scarlet letter and I thought, for sure, everybody sees it. And that was that first day. For 10 years after that, I thought, for sure, everybody sees it. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows. I'm damaged goods. I'm damaged goods. There's no way. Everybody knows. I'm a hot mess. And look what happened to me. And oh, can we add it? It had to have been my fault. Right? I had to have done something, right? Because that's part of the safety thinking that needs to be redeemed. Right, girls? But that's not his ideal. It's not the unforgivable sin. And we need to receive God's forgiveness. Because the shame associated with it is so real. And it ends up making us, well, in my case, I ended up then perpetuating making more bad decisions and more bad choices and more dangerous decisions and putting myself in really stupid situations. Because I didn't have anybody speak my life. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't have a relationship with my parents. I was living on my own. At that point, starting at 16, alone in downtown Toronto. I mean, how dumb is that? Anyway, but, okay. No healthy boundaries. No safe people. Some of us were raised with parents that didn't have the tools. Yeah. Whether it was direct abuse, which my parents did a good job of that. Whatever it is, they didn't know. Right? I think of my girls at 16 and 17, and I, I mean, I laugh out loud at the thought of them living by themselves. But at least it's a structured environment. Okay, all right. So strategies to redeem your sexuality. Understand that sexual sin is not the unforgivable sin and receive God's forgiveness. Let's take a look at John 8, 3 through 11 in the New Living. As, as he was speaking, and this goes perfectly with Veronica's drama. And girls, I don't know if you know this, but what is really sick is that all these different people are speaking and none of us confirm notes. And there is such a thick thread interweave that's going through all of our stuff. It is like, like if you do not know that the Holy Spirit is real, I'm just here to tell you, He is so real. It is ridiculous. I had notes, I shared this with Shop. Just like, whatever, you know, I'm going to add a little piece to make her redeeming your past piece. I literally like worked out the whole thing. Well, I don't even thought of that. She nailed it. She even had the scriptures that I had. Remember this when um, when Veronica uh, did this for us? Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, <clears throat> but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. 
go and sin no more. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't see us as damaged goods. That was crazy. Because I thought my identity and all my experiences were validated time and time and time again. I am damaged goods. But yet the scripture says I am not. He lovingly offers that forgiveness and the power to choose differently. So if we're overwhelmed by, by that sexual sin and we want to hide, that causes us to withdraw from our relationship with God, doesn't it? When I'm ruled in shame, it's like I, I can't even make eye contact with people, let alone with the Lord. But it's important that we have to run to Him and not away from Him. Okay, so that was the first strategy. Understand it's not the unforgivable sin. The second strategy, I think, is to recognize unhealthy cultural trends. And I kind of talked about this. That he created us as sexual beings as part of who we are, but the enemy of our souls wants us to believe the lies. Okay, this gets me a little fired up because we've taught parenting classes for years, preteen classes, teenage classes, and it has stunned me how deceived the Christian parents have been on the unhealthy cultural trends and that it's not having any impact on their children. And then when the day comes and the truth is revealed on what's really going on and how crushed they are. Oh, it's just a little boyfriend. It's just a little kiss. Well, they have to wear that dress because that's all we could find at the mall. It's just a three-inch heel. We didn't get them a six-inch heel. I'm not saying this about don't be beautiful and embrace your sexuality, okay? But when you're raising the little ones, yeah. there's so much research out there that indicates that when you open that Pandora's box, because you know, even me, I put on a pair of heels, socks and changes. <laughs> right? Come on now. Yes. I don't wear very much anymore. There's no need for that. But, um, <laughs> Well, let me tell you why. 
Because right now I have clients in my office who have children at three, four, and five years old that have been exposed to pornography on recess in the playground because their little neighbor friend had a smartphone because they have very generous and loving and doting parents with no boundaries. And now they're looking at that pornography and then they're wondering why they're struggling with masturbation and compulsive sexual gratification. Really? And you want to judge me that my girl did not have a data plan phone when she was 9, 10, 12, FYI, my 17-year-old doesn't even have one yet because she is not mature enough yet to handle that. And it's my job to be the safeguard of that. Amen. So if you let the culture define that, let me know how the culture helps you out and all hell is breaking this in their lives. Now I get fired up about this because it breaks my heart. And so we've got the principal of a school. I'm sure she could talk all night long of the terrible things. Goodwill parents. We're all goodwill parents that have no idea the unhealthy cultural trends that exist just within sexuality. No idea. But we're responsible. Yes. He gave us those little ones. We are 100% responsible to safeguard their souls. Yes. And saying, I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's not okay. It's not okay. So one of the things to redeem our sexuality is start recognizing the unhealthy things, the lies that are out there. And be willing, hello, to set apart. The word says be in the world but not not of it. You were supposed to look a little different, act a little different, talk a little different, not better than. No, but different. And I see young women that identify themselves as Christians. And I might be in a function somewhere, and I see them places. And my heart breaks. I, I mean, literally, I start bawling. I got to turn around. And I'm like, what is that precious dear doing here right now? What is she doing? I remember we were somewhere, and it was homecoming. Or, and all the girls, they're like 15, 16 years old, that were showing up in the limo that could and these boys are bringing them into a hotel, no adults, they're crumbling, they're wasted, probably hasn't even happened, and I'm sitting with the Lord have mercy what's going to happen in this hotel. What is going to happen? And where are those goodwill parents right now? Some of us might have been that girl. That's right. Yeah. What happens that night? But there were in those outfits that leave nothing to the imagination. Because that's all they could get at the mall. They wear those shoes that used to only be saved for certain environments. Because they're cute and everybody's wearing them. Please understand my heart. This is not a judgment. You might have some really sassy, sexy shoes. Okay, great. I don't want you leaving here saying she's the one to be sexy. No, 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 no. But there's the right place and the right context. All of that. Because your body is sacred. It's for no one but him first, and if you're married for your spouse, no one else. No one else. Okay? So we have to recognize those cultural trends, and then we have to establish healthy boundaries, and oh my goodness, this can be a lifelong journey, ladies. We could have boundary classes on sexuality forever, because most of us have no idea, especially if they've been violated. If you've had any experience with violet, it kind of messes up even within your own cognition. What's healthy and what's not healthy? Just like with abuse, right? If someone's abused us, it's kind of like, 
Well, then what does love look like? What does it feel like? This person said they love me. It's my parent, or it's my spouse. They say they love me, but I have a broken nose. Mm. Yeah. Right. We don't know. We have no idea. So do not be naive to think that, oh, well, I had this thing that happened when I was eight, but yeah, I'm cool. Um, and I think my values are good. Well, if you do, hallelujah, but maybe you want to double check. Okay, and I don't mean that again. No shame in mind, but just double check. Because a lot of times we have no idea. We have no idea. So we need to establish healthy boundaries in order to live in accordance to His will. And His will is not to diminish our fulfillment ways, it's to increase it. How do we do that? We need to guard our hearts. We need to be so aware. It's kind of like, you know, clicking the channels and then there's this stuff, and you're like, oh, wow. Well, some of us are like, oh, not oh. <laughs> is that guarding our hearts? No. No, it's not. So if we're... We have to be so aware of any activity or situation that's going to be a temptation or something for anything. And you know how many sweet Christian women say, well, it's okay for me to do that because at least I'm not doing this. I'm like, mom, show me in the scripture where that's okay. Because in what you're doing, in that book that you're reading, in that thing that you're watching, you're comparing yourself to her and him to your husband. There's no way your husband's ever going to line up to that. Harlequin romances. I got them up like crazy, right? Because my sexual boundaries. But I had read, back in my day, it had a series that had numbers. I'd go to the library, I'd read the entire series. Like, I was like a total addict of romance novels. Because all the sexual violation was not done romantically, so I was drawn to romance. Like, the night in general, right? Whatever, okay. But it was like, oh my gosh, well, when I finally got older, guys, I mean, not, I don't know who they are that are in these books. But they're not real, um, you know? And my guy is cute and sassy and sexy and romantic and all that, but he's not the hard looking dude with the like fucking, like whatever. Like, he's not. I think he's nasty anyway because I'm more into the brothers, but it's just like.
There's no shame in getting help. It takes great courage, and there's great healing. Amen. Right? Don't stay stuck. You're just wasting valuable time. Amen. So avoid inappropriate conversations, especially if they're dishonoring your marriage, if they're dishonoring your spouse, your marriage, and even your own sexuality if you're single. If you're married, don't let the flame die. Okay? And don't get too close to another man. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of us, oh no, I don't have to worry about that. Okay, I don't have job. Why do I have job security on this one? Yeah. Because you're lonely in your marriage. John's been happening. You might even be miserable. Then there's that guy at work who brings you that Starbucks every morning and says, wow, you look really cute. about in 20 years. Mm. Or maybe he loves Jesus and he's talking about the sermon at his church on the weekend. And you're like, my guy isn't talking about that. But you don't even realize it. It's just like the tickling in the ears. Yeah. It's just nice. And you don't even recognize it. So it's not that we're supposed to be walking around all paranoid. That's not what I'm getting at. It's just honest recognition. Right, girls? Yes. Don't get too close. And if you're single and you're dating and a man mistreats you in any way,